The reading today is from John's Gospel, chapter 18, verses 33 to 38, and it can be found on page 1683. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? And Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, You are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. And with this he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So thank you, Lynn, for reading the passage. And uh, I'm going to try and unpick some of the the themes that are going on in that, uh, that conversation that Jesus had with Pilate. And it's seems odd that uh, a passage like this is normally reserved for Easter, but uh, rather than this time of year. So let me share some thoughts then on this passage along the theme of Christ the King. So we, we see a contrast here between earthly and heavenly authority, between Pilate and Jesus. So Pilate lived in a palace and had troops at his command. Although he wasn't a king, he was the delegated authority of Caesar in Rome. But he'd been got at by the Jews, which seemed a bit odd, really, because Pilate was the ruler of that land, and uh, the Romans allowed the Jews to practice their religion, but they were still under the ultimate authority of the Roman Empire. But it seems strange that Pilate was bowed down to the fact that the pressure that he was put under by the Jews. He wasn't a Jew himself. um, And he clearly uh, didn't have a great deal of regard for the Jewish authorities, who incidentally were not noted for their vocal support of the Roman Empire. So when they brought Jesus to Pilate to say that uh, he's uh, causing unrest here because he's, uh, he's, he's been able to, he's preaching usurping Caesar, who is what they believe, the ultimate king. Interestingly, the, he didn't really cotton on to what truth was all about. But Pilate's ultimate question was whether or not Jesus is a king. And I believe that is something for all of us to decide. And what does it mean to be his loyal subject? But contrast what Pilate 
was like living in a palace to Jesus, a king, but not of this world. And this king's followers dispersed over that previous night and Jesus was left alone to face this interrogation by Pilate. But Pilate didn't know it. Jesus was born a king. And I think that's something that we will be reminded of in the next few weeks when we think about the visit of the Magi who recognised even before Jesus' birth that he was a king, the ultimate king. So as Pilate looked at Jesus, there must have been no passing resemblance of him being a king in any way, shape or form. There was hardly any loyalty from his subjects or the, or the Jewish authorities who supposedly Jesus was the king over. And if he thought that Jesus was a threat, then he would have to deal with this insurrection most severely. In fact, history records that Pilate brutally suppressed rebellion. And as a result of later on in in subsequent years, he dealt with an armed Samaritan rebellion quite severely and was recalled back to Rome. So Caesar obviously didn't feel that Jesus was a credible threat. And... But yet Jesus' own words claimed that he was a king, which must have puzzled Pilate immensely, especially when he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So what's a kingdom not of this world like? So it's not like what we've got, a democracy, or what we actually have, which is is a, a constitutional monarchy, whereby the king rules, but through a a constitution and is not alone in making decisions. Our King Jesus is absolute authority. In fact, his very words create life, create the universe. Uh, What a marvellous authority that is. The irony of this confrontation is that Pilate appeared to be powerful, but was really powerless, whereas Jesus appeared to be powerless, but was actually powerful. For me, the most intriguing part about the conversation was this point about Pilate couldn't get the understanding of what truth meant. And I think that's a big philosophical subject, which you'll be glad to know I'm not going to talk about this morning. (laughs) We're going to concentrate on Jesus being the king And uh, interestingly enough, uh, we've got a slide coming up, that uh, archaeologically, uh, next slide please, uh, we've got in the Rylands Library in Manchester, there's this glass case, and inside the glass, this temperature controlled glass case, is a small glass pane, and inside is a piece of papyrus that's about the size of a credit card. And uh, this is called, it's got a very fancy title, Ryland's Library Papyrus P52. And it's, it happens to be what acknowledged as one of the oldest fragments of the New Testament. 
And it happens to be the passage that we're talking about today. And I, I find it incredible that this small piece of paper uh, that uh, has this passage about what is truth. And uh, the, the archaeologists date this around about the beginning of the first, second century. So it would have been written uh, within living memory of John writing this gospel. Uh, unfortunately, on the reverse side of it, off to the, off to the uh, right, left-hand side, is the words where Pilate says, what is truth? But this is, this is the passage that we're talking about. Now, the sto- uh, let me talk to you about another piece of uh, literature. Does anybody recognize this? It's a Bible, yeah. Any, be more spe- specific. Sorry? King James Bible, yes. This is a King James Bible. And uh, this is uh, King James I. Um, he, it's his fam- famous book. He didn't actually write it. Uh, he commissioned it. But um, do you happen to know, he, is, uh, uh, he wrote, he was quite a scholar and wrote many, many books. But the second most famous book that he wrote and I won't ask you if you know what it is, it's called the Basilicon Doran. And the intriguing thing about that, Basilicon Doran means royal gift. And it was a book he wrote, King James, it was King James VI of Scotland that became King James I of England on the death of Elizabeth I. And he wrote this book for his son. For He wanted Henry, the Prince of Wales, to have some guidance about how to rule as a king. And it's a fascinating book. Um, it's, it's a wisdom tutorial for kingship. And it, the form of the book is quite comprehensive. It's in, there's only seven copies of the original edition that were made, and only two are in existence today. One of them is in the Library of Scotland, and the other one is in the British Library. And doing my homework for this talk, I thought, I'll go to London and see this example. But unfortunately, the British Library website has been hacked and uh, they've been held to ransom by ransomware. So I thought, I better not go just in case it's not on display. But anyway, when, that, when, we, when we find out when, when the site is open, we might, might be able to find out when we can see the book. Actually, James split it up into three sections, which he called three books as well. And the first book covers the king's responsibility to emulate God and his goodness, to avoid being tyrannical and rule with justice. The second book is, focuses on the roles and responsibilities of office, and the third concerns behaviour in daily life. Fascinating book. And it's, I find it quite touching that uh, it's not just a father's advice to a son, but a king to the heir apparent. So book one, entitled A King's Duty Towards God as a Christian. Let me read a few extracts, if, you, if I may. So the next slide, I think, is... Oh, sorry, that was just in case you didn't guess that it was the King James Version. 
Go on. Next slide. That's the uh, that's his handwritten notes of the uh, of the book. And next slide. Right. He says, therefore, my son, first of all things, learn to know and love that God, whom to ye have a double obligation, first that he made you a man, and next that he made you a little God to sit on his throne and rule over other men. He's pointing out that the king has two facets, one a ruler and the other is still a man. And I find perhaps that as an echo of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. The next uh, instruction that I picked out was, uh, it says, uh, Now, the only way to bring you this knowledge is to diligently read his word and earnestly pray for the right understanding thereof. Search the scriptures, says Christ. So, moving on to book two, uh, instructions for the king, he says, I don't know whether I've got a slide for that one. Uh, He says, therefore, besides your education, it is necessary ye delight in reading and seeking knowledge of all lawful things, but with these two restrictions. First, that you choose idle hours for it, not interrupting, therewith the discharge of your office. And next, that you study not for knowledge nakedly, but that your principal aim be to make you able thereby to use your office, practicing according to your knowledge in all the points of your calling. I think it's heartwarming that the king should have time for reading for pleasure, and we too need recreation. However, we must give this uh, appropriate priority uh, alongside our godly responsibilities. However, dare I say, the more amusing and more interesting part is from book three, which is the practical day-to-day advice. And he instructs his son on matters of of profitable use of time, uh, food, sleep, speech and writing, and he even has a lot to say about clothes and and what he should wear. In matters of health, he suggests, but from this count, I debar all rough and violent exercises as the football. (laughs) More meat for laming than making able the uses thereof, as likewise such tumbling tricks as only serve for comedians and balladines to win their bread with. I bet you've never heard the word balladines in a service before. <laughs> you ask, ask me what it means later if you don't know. The, uh, I, I find it amazing that, uh, that you get this sort of advice um, from a father to a son. He also says, And make not a fool of yourself in disguising or wearing long hair or nails. Sadly, Henry, the Prince of Wales, died of suspected typhoid before he became king. And his younger brother, Charles, who then became Charles I, uh, was the one that picked up the mantle there. I'm not sure that uh, Charles I 
looked at all the evidence that was provided for him by his, his late father. Um, I've seen pictures of him with very long hair. So, uh, and, and, his, and his clothes were rather flamboyant as well. Um, but I, I, it's not a new idea for a father to give his son uh, advice. Uh, that's an intriguing thing for those of you that are fathers here, or soon to be fathers here, shall we say. Um, Jacob did it in Genesis chapter 49 with specific instructions and prophecies to each of his sons. Uh, David instructed Solomon in 1 Chronicles chapter 28, and Solomon himself produced vast amounts of advice for his son and for the rest of us. Um, He said uh, in Proverbs chapter 4 verse 1, he says, Listen, my sons, to a father's instructions. Pay attention and gain understanding. So you might ask, what has kingly advice got for us today, self-born? But you might not realize it, but we who believe are co-heirs in his kingdom. Romans chapter 8 verse 17 puts it this way. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So let us take our royal responsibility just as King Charles III promised six months ago when he said, in his name and after his example, I come not to be served, but to serve. I believe, however, if we return to the Bible, not necessarily the the King James Version here, um, we have instructions from our King and Heavenly Father on godly living, the qualities we are told to adopt. It is the Maker's User Guide and I encourage you to study it. And Tom last week was, uh, gave us some practical hints and tips, and I think there's probably still some material at the back if you want to uh, avail yourself of it. Um, but it, interestingly, uh, I had for several years on my Christmas list, the, uh, <laughs> see Julie laughing here, I had the, 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 the Haynes Manual for Apollo 11. There we go. So, a fascinating book, fascinating book, if you ever wanted to build a moon rocket, or I suppose if you dismantle one, how to put it back together again, and not have three or four screws left over, I think. However, we all have this instruction manual of life, and I encourage you to read it. In fact, it it says of itself, it's God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So indulge me as joint heirs in wise instructions from our King Jesus. So I've got some quotes coming up. He promised to meet our needs. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He also told us to live in the present 
Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He also reassured us about our daily bread. I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Matthew 6.25 says, He promised to light up our lives. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we are to reflect that light of Jesus. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your, see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But perhaps, for me, the most concise instruction is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, which says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. There are two kingdoms, the earthly kingdom and the heavenly kingdom, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Seek the kingdom of our kingdom, king of kings, the light of the world, King Jesus, and search the scriptures guided by the Holy Spirit to see God's, Jesus' sacrifice, allowing us to join as co-heirs in his kingdom. My king, my priest, my prophet, my deliverer, and my sacrifice for sin. Let us sing together now. My Jesus, my Saviour. Amen.